Greetings, Anthony Broom here from NRG Stadium in Houston. Uh, a little bit after, I don't know if you heard about this, Michigan football won the 2023 National Championship 15-0. First National Championship since the 1997 season. First outright National Championship since the 1948 season. Every narrative has been killed. Every narrative has been destroyed. Michigan is a champion for 365 more days and... People are just going to have to deal with that. Anthony Broom, of course, here with former Michigan defensive lineman Ryan Van Bergen. Thanks for staying up with us tonight. But guess what? I, I mean, you guys weren't going to sleep anyways. Been waiting years for this. A lot of people waiting uh, 25 years. Uh, people waiting for through the missed opportunities over the years. But that doesn't matter anymore. The narrative is slayed. Michigan is on top of the college football world again. Ryan Van Bergen, where's your head at right now? I've had a little bit of time to cool off, but uh, man, oh, man. They pulled it off. They did it. They pulled it off. They did it. They cemented the legacy that everyone who's ever worn the winged helmet hopes to cement. And they did it in a way that was undeniable. Uh, they took all comers, which I heard Jim Harbaugh say at the end of the game. And not only did they take all 11 that decided to cross the sideline and strap it up against these guys, but the distractions, the different things that have happened throughout this season that could have deterred or derailed a lesser team. But uh, the leadership, the character, uh, the toughness, the grit, the things that this team have, I mean, this is the best football team in all 144 years of Michigan football. I think that is uh, undeniable as well. So to have been a part of it, to have worn the same helmet, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to watch uh, these guys just create that legacy and, and cement themselves as national champions. You're muted. Whoops. Uh, that's what happens when we do stuff live here. Uh, a something has a 1999 super chat says who has it better than us. And the answer is that nobody does right now. Um, we have a Z Shab who says, let's go. What a game. What a season for a $10 super chat. Uh, big case. Mike back after uh, asking recruiting questions during the Rose bowl. Do you think we'll see a recruiting bump from this? I don't care. Uh, we'll talk about that some other time. It can't get worse. It's going to get at least better. <laughs> I mean, maybe neutral, but yeah, it should get better. Yeah. Um, guys, thank you. Of course, uh, you can use that donate button below. Uh, to move yourself in the front of the line, we will do questions later on. But, man, let's just talk about wide-angle lens this game. Uh, Michigan, I thought, dominated it from the start. Uh, obviously, we saw they had 100, I think it was 174 or 176 rushing yards in the first quarter. They were absolutely bludgeoning Washington. But for whatever reason, that second quarter came along, and they just couldn't, you know, after they jumped out to that early lead, it, oh, it felt like they needed one more drive to completely take control of this game. And it was tough for them to get. Uh, I don't want to say they let the foot off the gas, but they lost their way a little bit. Uh, we'll talk offense here in a bit, but we need to start with this defense tonight, Ryan, because if I had told you that Washington would have 14 possessions in this game and only score one touchdown, you probably say Michigan wins running away, which they did. It was a 34-13 uh, final score, but man, this offense lost its way a bit there in, in the middle part of this football game. And Jesse Minner's defense, it, it wasn't always perfect. Washington's the best passing offense in the nation. They had their fair share of big plays here and there, but never really gave up that back-breaking play. And it got, it got close. It was a one-score game for a bit. But 
just another masterclass here in the college football playoff for Jesse Minner's defense. It really was. And I feel like it was the display of how good Michigan is in all areas. Will Johnson shows up and has a huge game. Sainer still has a huge game. Keon Saab has a couple big plays that rotates in all the time. You go across the defensive line, guys that made plays and stepped up, Jalen Harrell, uh, Josiah Stewart, uh, Mason Graham obviously had himself a game. Uh, Kenneth Grant manhandling the interior. And then you always have the consistent Michael Barrett, Jr. Colson. You almost lose track of them because they're so consistently good. And to have everybody contribute and to have a team effort like that on defense to shut out the number one offense. And I'd have no doubts that that is the number one offense. Penix is special. Washington's offense is special. Uh, but when you have 11 guys that know what they're doing and play this hard as these guys play, it, it, it can be special and it can change your team and it can change your, your postseason. And I feel like being a part of that defense, I talked about the honor and privilege of being a part of just the team in general, but being part of the defense, having been in that team defensive meeting room to see the performance that they put forward. Um, it's it, it as picturesque as you can ask for. And it, it started in the Rose bowl with them having the fourth down stop and just coming out and the defense was going to have to win this game today. I think we all knew it. And they came out and dominated, not just one, but dominated, thrived in conditions that other teams may have struggled in and uh, super proud of how the guys performed. I will go through some of those defensive stats here. Uh, Washington actually had 13 total drives, average time of possession, two minutes, 21 seconds. Uh, they had three, three and outs, uh, two 10 play drives. Average third down distance was 9.7. I mean, they had you – know, I leaned over to Chris Ballas at one point, and I said, God, it feels like Washington has been third, has been in third and 12, third and 14, third and 18 all night. And in a lot of ways, that could be when they're their most dangerous because then that's when Michael Penix gets to fire the ball down the field. But uh, Michigan was fortunate that Penix had a few misfires uh, in this game. Uh, but again, as the game went on – and again, Penix at a certain point was a little bit roughed up. But the way that they were able to, you know, push him off his spot, I thought the coverage was good down the field. Uh, I didn't see the final stats on Romo Dunze. Uh, five catches, 87 yards. You take that all day, every day, considering how the connection those guys have. Uh, this defensive game plan uh, seemed like it was one of Jesse, maybe Jesse Minner's best at Michigan. It Certainly it's best executed. And, uh, Again, Washington, maybe some miscues on their end had a little bit to do with that, but these guys were were on it again all night. And, and at any point, they could have had their hands on their hips from being tired, from being on the field all the time, and they just kept coming up big. They did, and you can apply this statement to both the offense and the defense, but it, as we're talking about the defense, I think something that you can't look over is how well prepared our defense was to play this game. Uh, I think we had one or two busted coverages, which you should expect because one of the things you may not be able to appreciate is how much movement and how much disguise there was each and every play, both offensively and defensively. And we can get to the offensive side of the ball and what they were doing, but the pre-snap reads for Penix and what he saw with 25 seconds left on the play clock was different than what he saw with 15 seconds left and then was different when the ball got snapped. And for these guys to be able to coordinate something like that and be able to be on the same page and maintain you know, gaps and maintain coverage uh, against a team that is looking to take advantage of matchups is just, it's an incredible schematic game plan 
uh, of how it was executed. And then when you get on top of that, these guys are playing their freaking asses off and like their hairs on fire, all 11 of them when they're on the field. It was an amazing product. That defense was maybe one of the most elite defenses you may ever see. And they may never get the credit for it because they say, oh, you played nobody's week one. You played nobody's. But what can you do besides hold teams to zero and seven and 14 and 13 in a national championship game? This, to me, needs to be discussed as one of the best defenses in college football that we've ever seen. Yeah, and I believe I saw a stat walking up to the box here that Michigan led in halftime of, at halftime of every single game it played, which I think they're the first team to do that since 2001 Miami. So we are looking at one of the best, most dominant college football teams that maybe we've ever seen. And I know, gosh, you already have the people whining about asterisks. There's no asterisk next to this. I mean, this is the most legitimately won national title there could have been. No, you know, their whole sign-stealing operation ripped out root and branch, as Rich Eisen likes to say. You know, you play Penn State, you play Ohio State, you have to hold on at Maryland, you shut out Iowa, you beat Alabama in the Rose Bowl, you beat the best passing game in the country in the national title game. I, I don't want to hear it. I won't hear it. Um, at some point, yeah, there might be hell to pay to a certain extent for some of the things they're accused of, but that's down the road. Uh, this This title is legitimate. This team is legitimate. And to me, when you look at what they were able to do defensively, I feel like they got better after all that and they got better when the lights were the brightest. And to me, that is, uh, you know, we're going to look back on this team as probably the gold standard of what a defensive team looks like at the university of Michigan. It will be. And I think every position group is going to be compared and evaluated based on the performances, because that's the other thing about this team is it's completeness. And as you kind of looked forward to this Washington game, you could identify every announcer, broadcaster, analyst that you can name would go through Washington and talk about, well, here's the deficiency. Here's where they're no good. That type of thing. When you talk about Michigan's defense, there are no holes. There's not a single place where we don't have a, a stud and then a guy behind them that can play and split reps. So the Michigan defense to me in the modern era is the example, not just for what we want as a blueprint at Michigan, but for what any program would want as a defense. They are the number one defense in the country, both in who plays and what 11 guys are on the field, as well as what they're planned to do in their schematics when it comes game time. Well, let's talk about uh, you know, some more of the defensive numbers here. Uh, Mike Sadner still had the pick six that sealed the game, returns at 81 yards. Again, every single time this team needs a play, needs a turnover, he's come up big throughout this season. Uh, Will Johnson, that pick coming out of halftime was huge. Washington had all the momentum going into the half. Uh, they get the ball first after deferring uh, the opening kick. And on the first play to have Will Johnson have the wherewithal to not only, again, that was a target to Romo Dunze in coverage, which again, I had that in bold predictions this week. So I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. But, uh, you know, to be able to keep your feet in bounds again, you know, Michigan was only able to get the three points out of it. But at the time, I mean, that was, that really was the, the, we can look back at on hind, at it in hindsight. And that really was maybe the biggest momentum swing in this game. Cause Washington goes down and scores. That's a tie football game. And who knows what happens after that? It was a huge momentum swing and I have to uh, hide my shock because one of my predictions with people that I've been talking with about the game was that both Will Johnson and uh, Mike Sainer still would get second half interceptions. So for both of them to come up with second half interceptions was uh, fulfilling in the least, but uh, it, it was going to be the turning point of the game. And one of the things that I also think is prevalent about the game is 
Michael Penix knows Michigan. He's been against Michigan when he was in Indiana. He understands what the program and the culture is like. And although some of the other guys may not have been uh, aware and privy to the information, I think it got in Penix's head. Penix might have been wearing crimson and white for a while out there. And uh, that's just a credit, I think, to Minner and what he was able to do defensively. But um, it, it was definitely something that I think you could tell we were in his head. There's no way you could argue that we weren't in his head. And I feel like that's something that may have gotten overlooked when people are previewing the game is that Penix has some demons when it comes to playing Michigan. And uh, it's the same last name on the Jersey, whether the colors are different or not. Yeah. I mean, he had the the win in the COVID season, but other than that, uh, Michigan had, had dominated Indiana while he was there. Uh, you look at Michael Penix's numbers tonight, 27 to 51, 255, one touchdown, two picks uh, to be the biggest thing. And this was always maybe going to be the case with Dylan Johnson, not being hundred percent, but they completely took the run off the board in this game, uh, 20 attempts, 46 yards, you know, that made Washington one dimensional. Again, they're good enough of a pass offense to win that way. But you know, when, when you're just able to pin your ears back and, and have those 51 dropbacks, I didn't see the final sack numbers. Michigan only had one sack on the night. So you want to give, that Washington offensive line, it's credit to uh, that. What they did win the Joe Moore award this year. And a lot of times played really well in this game, but um, you know, to make them one dimensional, to not let Romo Dunze, you know, cook you for nine catches and 180 yards and to not let those other guys really beat you either. Uh, just a testament to how well they played it. And uh, again, I think Will Johnson was named the the game's defensive MVP. I thought Kenneth Grant was outstanding tonight. I thought Keon Saab, uh, he had a play early on that didn't go his way, but I thought he played an excellent game. Uh, obviously, Mike Sainer still Junior Colson. This is one of their best tackling games of the year, too. Uh, you know, we talked about how one of the bigger keys was going to be keeping those guys in front of them. And I don't think Washington popped a play over 20 yards in this game. I'd have to look. Uh Okay, so Odunze did have a 44-yard reception, but other than that, that was that was it for Washington tonight. I mean, I think you'd, you'd take that if you're a Wolverine fan. You definitely take that, and that I think plays right into if you were to get in a binder that was Jesse Minter's binder for this game plan, mm-hmm. I think one of the top bullet points would be no big plays and make them go the long way, make them have 10-play, 12-play, 14-play drives, and see if Penix can throw it into a mailbox from the 5-yard line or 10-yard line as opposed to giving him 50, 60 yards to work with and his receivers that much space to work with. So I think that that was the game plan all along, was walk these guys down the field. If they want to run the football, let them run the football. They can run it into a six-man front, and we'll still play our umbrella coverage because we don't think you're going to bang a 50-yard run with a guy with a bum ankle. So – I think that's exactly what the game plan was. I think even Jesse Minter may be surprised at how well the defense played considering they only gave up one touchdown. Uh, that's the one statistic that I feel like I thought for sure, just because of the talent that Penix has around him and because of who he is, they were good for one touchdown in each half. But to play the second half and only give up a field goal, more credit, more hat tipping deserved to the defense and Jesse Minter. Absolutely. And again, you know, we talked to, uh, there was the media day event on Saturday. We talked to Jesse Minner and, you know, you don't want to say the guy was afraid, but there was like this, there's an understanding that there were going to be times in this game where Washington might be able to get theirs. They're that good. Um, so it speaks to even, it speaks even more volumes. Uh, the fact that they didn't have that room to operate and again, just, uh, all things considered with some of them. And we'll talk about the offense here in a little bit. You know, with some of those missed opportunities and maybe the middle two quarters, if I told you that 
at halftime, you're going to have a, a seven point lead and Washington was only going to have 10 points. I think everyone takes that. And in the vacuum of, of the game happening in real time, I'm sure there were a lot of, there's, there was lots of clenching going on and I totally understand it. Uh, this thing was, uh, this thing spiraled out of control late for Washington, uh, but uh, it was a tight game and Michigan had to make plays. And, and let's talk about that offense. Now um, the running game looked a lot like it did when they played, when these two teams played two years ago, Michigan runs it 38 times for 303 yards and four touchdowns. Now, again, 170 plus of that came in that first quarter. I saw Don Edwards ripping off huge runs for the first time this year. Um, we had, you know, we saw Blake Corum, 21 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns. JJ McCarthy, it took them almost four quarters to do it, but they finally get him out to run a little bit. And those were big swinging plays uh, for Michigan. Again, uh, it's 443 total yards. They didn't turn over the ball. Actually, kind of remarkable. They did. They only converted one third down the entire night. Talk about this offensive effort. And again, um, you know, the one thing I sort of took issue with is that it seemed like the game plan was built on out toughing and eventually breaking Washington. And anyone who's watched watched Washington this year, and we can argue it, it finally went that way late. But that's not what this Washington Washington team has been all year. They have been in some dogfights. So. Um, Things did get creative late. They saved their best for last for the second game in a row and ultimately walked out with uh, with the victory. But talk about that offensive performance, uh, namely the run game tonight. I thought that the things that we did pre-snap, again, to reiterate a point I made, but the things that we do pre-snap, they gave Bama fits. I mean, when you watch that game back, when we go from two, two people deployed both ways and then you see Colston Loveland cross formation, a receiver cross the other way, all of a sudden there's a bunch on the left side, one to the right, and then one of the bunches motions across. When all that stuff happens, the amount of communication that's required for the defense to be gap sound versus the run, there's a lot going on. And the way that Michigan comes out and executes, I mean, think about how fast you have to get your play call in. There's only so many time, so much time on a play clock. So they get their play call in. JJ gives them the call. Boom, they're out. They do their snap motion back. And then he still has time sometimes to do a check and then check back. I mean, the execution and level of execution of this offense is at such a high level. And I understand that it may not look like once a ball is snapped that there's too much to the offense at times. But the pre-snap and the things that they're doing prior to uh, giving the ball is what's giving and to be able to execute at that level they're asking more of those players than anyone else is asking of their offensive guys and it, it was a credit to Sharon Moore and I think it was uh, you know one of those things of every type of run play that you can see in a game trap power counter uh, the only thing you didn't see was a reverse jet sweep but for the most part anything you can do that you can run between the tackles we ran today and the, the plethora of formations and shifts, the defense just can't prepare for that. And, you know, Washington looked lost from the first first go of it. So um, credit to what Sharon Moore is doing. The way we run the football and the things that we do for to run the football uh, make our offense and the way we run the football special. A lot of comments coming in about Donovan Edwards. So let's talk about his performance really quick. You and I have been – I. As a guy, I love Donovan, and, and I know he has been through a lot this year in terms of kind of a box he's put himself in mentally. But to, to see him have that moment, those moments early on in this game, he had a 41-yard touchdown that was, at the time, 
the second longest touchdown ever scored in the college football playoff national championship game. And then he one upped himself on the next drive from 46 yards out. Um, they weren't, they weren't ready for the Don. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and, and I said all year, you know, the longer that his struggles went on, I, I felt like the more violent, the return to the, the law of averages would be, or that he would have a big game on a big stage and it never really happened. And then it happened in the national title game. Uh, talk about what you saw from him tonight. And again, it was only the six carries for, I believe 104 yards and the two touchdowns kind of thought we'd see him get a little more involved, but uh, just Donald Edwards was a tone setter in this game. And, and it's, it's a testament to, you know, the power of just kind of fighting through it, playing through it and keeping your head up. He's been an amazing Michigan man, which is something you hear talked about all the time when you're walking the halls of Schembechler. And the character that he's shown to persevere through a season where he's not getting utilized, he's not getting the carries and touches that maybe he feels he deserves. I'm sure his people that support him feel that he deserves, and it's probably in his ear. And there's also been some times, I would say in the Bama game, he did get some opportunities that he didn't do anything with. And... um it, it, as we've watched him progress, we know what the Don is capable of. And it always seemed this year that there were opportunities that if he just had a little bit better vision, a little more patience, one more block, ran through one tackle, he's a home run hitter. He's going to, if he sees a lane and has angles to the end zone, he's getting there. And uh, very fitting for him to be such a big contributing part of this national championship team, because Donovan Edwards or even just the threat of Donovan Edwards at his best has propelled this team to where they are right now. So for him to make a real contribution um, to me, I feel like that is deserved of him. Well, we can't talk about the run game without talking about the night that Blake Corum had uh, kind of felt that they would, uh, that would ride him off into the sunset the best they could 21 carries 134 yards, two touchdowns, a uh, 59-yard rush in this game. Uh, maybe if they score on that drive, then this game gets put out of reach early on. But, you know, Coram again, uh, Mikey Sainer still came up with the interception. Blake Coram came up with the dagger on that uh, on that touchdown drive to put them up by three touchdowns. And Mikey called game and Blake Coram called game. But uh, specifically Coram, you know, obviously you have the long history at Michigan and, and you – are well aware of the history of the program and some of the greats who have been through that building. Where does that guy rank for you in terms of, you know, most consequential guys that helped propel a team to heights? I mean, no one has really done what he's done at Michigan. So where does he stand for you legacy wise? I have a, I'm going to call myself a young man in comparison to the history of Michigan football. So I, I intend not to offend anyone who has watched football in the eighties or nineties era and before, which is not very long in the history of Michigan football, but from my perspective and what I grew up watching, Mike Hart set the tone as far as a career Michigan running back. He played for all four years. He was a leader on the field and off the field, uh, set a bunch of records. And I always had the, the utmost respect for Mike Hart and what he did. Now, Mike Hart knowingly wasn't probably going to be the most explosive running back the NFL had ever seen. I think that was very obvious by how he played the game, but that didn't matter in the college game. He was consistent. He was physical. He uh, consistently found ways to win in situations where maybe there wasn't any room or maybe they're, they're contacted behind the line of scrimmage. How can you 
not compare Blake Corum to Mike Hart with maybe even a little more talent, maybe a little bit more wiggle. And um, that's not a knock on Mike Hart. That's just to speak to the, to the talent level that I think Blake Corum has, but the leadership qualities, um, you know, returning for that senior year, winning them or, or getting them to a national championship. If I'm not mistaken, we are undefeated when Blake Corum scores a touchdown in the last 27 or 28 games. So uh, to me, He's the most impactful and influential back that Michigan's ever had. Is he the best overall running back? There's a case to be made, but it's nice to to know that you've got a hall of greatness when it comes to the running back room at Michigan. I love this comment from John Madison, who says Donovan's big runs reminded me of him owning Ohio state. Yeah. I tweeted that early on in this game. I said, you know, I thought that there were, this game could kind of harken back to what some of these, Early those Ohio State games from the last few years have looked like, but I didn't expect it to be Donovan Edwards ripping off a pair of long touchdown runs. I did not have that on my bingo card. If you're someone who bet it tonight, congratulations. I mean, you're double, you're on double cloud nine, if that's possible. Uh, Derek Thomas has a 999 super chat saying, Great season, fellas. We did it. Wondering your thoughts on Sharon Moore and play calling. Felt for the second game in a row, the offense got stagnant, but the defense, hail Jesse Minner. Yeah, talk about uh, both coordinators tonight, right? I thought Sharon Moore called an excellent game, uh, in my opinion. I, I thought that there were some times on first down and second down that we finally showed some balance, which I thought is why our running game was so effective. We didn't connect on a lot of those throws, um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that was the fault of J.J. or Sharon Moore's play call. You have to give credit. Washington is the number two team in the country for a reason. They they also play very well in the secondary. I always thought their front seven was their weakness and where we could exploit them, but their secondary has always looked solid throughout the season. So when it came to passing situations, I thought it was a draw as to who was going to have the advantage. So um, I thought Sharon Moore called an excellent game where we didn't risk the ball. We took possession and you know, we gave our defense besides that, you know, before the first half getting a little risky on fourth down, we gave our defenses law or a defense long fields for Washington to have to try and cover and lots of opportunities to get after Penix. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like our offense was the perfect complement and is what is needed for our elite defense. And, uh, you know, I think every team has to have that dynamic of one complements the other. And I think this story of this Michigan team is our defense won us a national championship and our offense was the perfect complement to the national championship. Yeah, this was a defense first team. And, you know, for as much as people wanted it to be video game numbers and, you know, JJ throws for 300 yards and, and the backs run for 100 yards each, you kind of just needed those guys to do their part. And not only did they do their part, most of the season, they beat the brakes off of everyone. Now, down the stretch, this is what always cracked me up about the story of this season is that the first, what, eight or nine weeks, they destroy everybody because they should have. Everyone they played sucked. So they get to that second half of the season and you're playing, you know, and then the narrative was, oh, well, yeah, they're dominant, but they haven't played anybody. So then you go to Penn State and really kind of dominate them. Uh, you go to Maryland and hang on without your head coach. You beat Ohio State without Jim Harbaugh. You shut out Iowa. You beat Alabama. And then the narrative is, oh, well, Michigan's not going to be able to hang with, you know, Washington and its pass offense. And, oh, gosh, that's the best pass offense since Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and all those guys. And it's just like, Put on the game film. This team is unbothered by everything. And, and there's a comment in here. Um, Michigan fans, this is from Antoine Johnson. He says, Michigan fans 
stop worrying about what other people say about us. Just embrace that we are the evil empire. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in the national media with furled brows tonight. I walked by them on the way up here. Um, they're going to say what they're going to say, but I have confetti in my pocket. I have pictures from the field. I saw newspapers down there. I saw T-shirts. There is no one that can take this from, from those guys because they earned this. And to me, it is the most legitimately won national title, given everything that happened the last six, seven weeks. This is totally legit, and Michigan fans should be completely unbothered by what people say because you have the sport's biggest prize, and you get to claim that for the next calendar year. The Who cares what the naysayers are going to say? When Alabama won, did anyone from the Michigan fan base go, wow, there must be a really good program. I really think that they're honest and operate with full integrity. No. Everybody said Bama was cheating. When Clemson wins, they said they were cheating. When you are a winner, the people who don't like you and are dishonorable in, in their competitive spirit are going to say you cheated. So let them say what they're going to say. At the end of the day, the banners are going up. The rings are getting passed out. The championship trophy was hoisted. And Michigan is national championship or national champions with no one to say that they could hold a candle to us this year. And um, as a Michigan fan, as a Michigan alum, as a guy who got to wear that helmet, it's the most amazing feeling I've experienced uh, since sporting maize and blue. All right. Well, uh, you guys, we will open the queue up for questions now. Uh, it's a free for all. If you want to hop in, use that donate button to move to the front of the line. We'll take this one from Bruce Cool for $2. He says, was Tony Petiti present at the game? Uh, I am not sure about that. I didn't see him was on the field before the game, uh, certainly wasn't part of the celebration, wasn't even part of the celebration when he was the one handing out the trophy. Uh, he scurried out of there like the rat that he was. But uh, no, I'm not sure if he was there. And, and honestly, I don't think it really matters. So, yeah. Nothing to add. Nope. I speak for both of us. I don't do that often because Ryan is well-spoken. But uh, that's how I feel about it. That's how we feel about it. Uh, your average fan says people won't talk about it but this may be the best college football playoff team in the era. Six and zero without a head coach trailed the entire season for 44 minutes trailed in the second half in one game. I had to go through and look at some of those other teams. I mean, some of those Alabama and some of those Clemson teams, the LSU team in 2019 to me, I think is the best maybe the best national championship team I've ever seen. But when you look at this defense, uh, you know, I'd put them up there with that Georgia defense. I think you've watched a lot of guys flying around out there that are going to be playing on Sundays. If not next year, it'll be the year after when they're actually draft eligible. So, yeah, I mean, how great is it to be in that conversation now? Let You can rank them whatever, but you're the champion in 2023, and, and no one's taking that away from you. I think it's also nice as a Michigan fan to stand up a little taller and give yourself a little extra half inch because I feel like Michigan fans and people that have – been with this program through the the downs because there's been plenty of those and now that we're here and we're at the top we're at the apex as we've come through this season i feel like we've talked to our friends our peers our colleagues and said hey michigan's a real deal this year you know there's they're special and you've been retorted with oh you played bowling green oh you played michigan state when they're down oh you just happen to beat and so there's always been a, a comeback and now I feel like what can you possibly, what soapbox can you stand on and say, no, Michigan wasn't the best team in the country this year. At one point you were arguing, do they even belong in the conversation? Now it's like, how can you even question it's Michigan, everybody else. And 
no one that you go to work with, none of your friends, no one that likes another team for the next 360 whatever days can say any differently. So uh, that's quite the feeling to have. Makes it tough to go to bed tonight. Well, and it's not really, it goes beyond the next 360 whatever days because this team won the big prize. It's not just where, okay, you beat Michigan State, you beat Ohio State. Now you get to talk your, you get to talk your shit for a year. This is a team that goes down as probably Michigan's best ever, at least in that conversation. I mean, I'm not, no offense to the historians out there. I'm not having the conversations about the 1901 team or teams that played while they were still wearing leather helmets. Like, let's just leave that where it is. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, you get to, you get to own this. You get to have this forever. Um, you know, they don't make t-shirts for, I mean, some people make t-shirts for beating Ohio state this season, but you're gonna have a hat that says 2023 national champions. You're gonna have t-shirts that say 2023 national champions. That's forever. And I don't think anyone can ever take that away from you. So don't, don't let people bog it down. You just point to 15 and 0. you point to the scoreboard. And if there's something that happens later on, so be it. But, um, it's not going to be like back to the future where I look at the pictures from the field and everyone just disappears, right? Like this is going to, this, this will stay forever. Um, Philip LeMay, I have a question for you, Ryan. How do you feel? Oh, just overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Cause you wanted to be a part of this and anyone who's ever signed a letter of intent to play for the university of Michigan has boxes. They wanted to check when they signed that letter. And the next thing that you want to do with that pen is check some boxes personally and check some boxes as a team. And those team goals, which are always more important than your personal goals are win the big 10 beat Ohio state, beat Michigan state, play in the Rose bowl, win a national championship and through circumstances that are completely outside of your control. A lot of the times you can't control if you get every one of those boxes checked, but this team got every single one of them checked. And as a player, I got one or two of them checked and I know other guys that got one or two of them checked, but none of us got to take the whole list and turn it in and say, this is what I get as a resume. This is my legacy at Michigan. So um, you like to feel like you're a part of what, has built this team to this part and this point and probably a very small and, and uh, insignificant piece, but a piece nonetheless. And so that's just something that I feel like not just me, but anyone who's played for Michigan and been a part of, you know, the teams that have been between 1997 and right now, uh, we all feel some sort of ownership that we were part of the culture that got the team to this position. And as a fan, you can say whatever you want about that, but I know we all feel that in our hearts and it's a good feeling. Can't you? So this question wasn't paid for, but I'm, I'm moving it up because it was, uh, they were buttering us up anyways uh, from Kyle TT says, I love Anthony and Ryan in Michigan. Uh, thank you, Kyle. That means the world. Uh, it's been a fun year. Uh, I have to say, because of that one, I got one person that reached out. I'm not going to say how, so I don't get more contacts, but shout out all the truck drivers. If you listen to us on a podcast while you drive trucks and you're hauling stuff across the United States, we appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. We love them. We love all the truck drivers. This is from Michigan Go Blue 1234 for 499. It says, this is one of the best defenses in college football history, in my opinion. Yeah, we've kind of talked about that at this point, but I mean, Outside of that Georgia defense in 2021, like what's who else is in that conversation? I mean, I don't even know. I don't even really want to have that conversation tonight, but it was the best, most dominant defense this year. And through 15 games, 
give the most points they gave up all year was 24 and it was to Maryland and Ohio state. I mean, heck of a job, uh, crazy good this year. The other thing I think is really important to note is the amount of contribution you get on this defense. And I don't know that there's a way to quantify or what statistics they have on stuff like this, but the amount of guys we consistently talked about the rotation and how many guys got playing time, significant reps for this Michigan defense without any fall off. And a lot of those guys are young. I think it's way too early to start talking about what could happen in the future for Michigan football. But one of the other things that I feel like keeps the smile plastered on my face is we are set up for more success in the future. This team has a foundation and has roots in success. And there's a lot of youth on this team to pair with this senior leadership and um, defensively with the amount of guys that got repetitions and how elite this defense was, we may not have only just set the standard. We may continue to set the standard for years to come. I'll take this one from Bruce cool for $2. He says, is JJ McCarthy, a Troy Aikman type of quarterback, not gaudy stats, but wins. I mean, you can't argue with the wins at this point. If you want to put the stats up and say, Oh, so-and-so was better. So-and-so, you know, had more prolific passing numbers, but every time they've needed a drive. And again, at any point tonight, the one drive they needed could have happened before it did, but you know, really when push came to shove and it was time to go win a football game in the fourth quarter, JJ McCarthy made plays. Uh, he did the same thing in the Rose bowl. He did the same thing against Ohio state Did the same thing against Penn state, albeit on eight passing attempts. Yeah. I mean, the man, the man is what 27 and one as a starter now and has a natty crown him by whatever you want to call him. I, I won't argue it at all. He also hasn't had to step up and make some plays, which I think is something to just credit our offense and what we're able to do running the football. But how many times did we just say we were trailing? We trailed for 41 minutes. I mean, if JJ needed to put a drive together, AKA the Bama game and maybe the Maryland game, but if we needed a drive from JJ that ended in points, when did he not produce? It's not his fault. He wasn't called on consistently to bail us out because we had great defense and an offense that was looking to milk the clock for the majority of the season. That's one thing. It kind of presses a button for me when people say, well, he doesn't have the statistics of a quarterback. The only statistic that matters is W's people want winners. And that's what JJ McCarthy is. I see him as being, you know, Troy Aikman's a little bit dated in my opinion, and he's also a cowboy, so I won't go there. But I, I think that if you look at the NFL right now, is Brock Purdy an elite quarterback talent? Or is he just a winner that propels his team? I think that debate happens every Tuesday when I turn on ESPN. But J.J. McCarthy, to me, is every bit as good a quarterback as some of the guys that are doing it at a high level in the NFL, not because of his skills, which I believe he has, but because of his ability to win games and propel teams to win games. And I think that's something that the draft guys are going to be aware of should he choose to come out or who knows, he might come back. Uh, a lot of people dragging Lee Corso in the comments. Uh, leave Lee Corso alone. Uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna go too hard at the guy. But uh, I think right now he just hardly. It's a chore to even get him up on the stage. Um, I think the bigger idiots and all this. And actually, uh, I think did Lee Corso pick Michigan to win tonight? I think he did. Um, leave Leave Corso alone, though. I see some people dogging him. Uh, I want to know who the idiot was that there was some guy from the SEC network that picked Washington 63-14. Uh, it just goes to show, like, anyone can get on here and make a game prediction now. Uh, the ball knowers know that this was the best team in the country. The ball knowers know that this was this was legitimate and it was earned. And, you know, as we kind of move into the, 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 the late stages of this show now, 
you and I have done, this is, we're 15 for 15 now. We've done 15 of these, 15 wins. That's a first for us. Um, let's talk about the legacy of this team. Um, the legacy of Jim Harbaugh, you know, coming into, coming off that COVID season, it was, he couldn't beat his rivals, couldn't beat Michigan State, done. Couldn't beat Ohio State, done. Couldn't get to a Big Ten championship, done. Couldn't get to the college football playoff, done. Couldn't win big games on the road. Done, done, done. I can't even count how many big games they've won the last few years. The last thing that was remaining was to go get this one. And at times, it looked like they were going to let Washington right back into this game and maybe let one slip away. But they stood on their business. They were unflappable. They play games for 60 minutes. And the way that this team was built was to tell their opponent, over the course of a 60-minute football game, you can't hang with us. And not one team, a couple teams did it right down to the final play. Ohio State, Alabama, tip of the hat to them for that. But no team was able to hang with this squad for four quarters, and they never beat themselves. Maybe they made some games a little closer on their own. But these guys were, were one day at a time, one rep at a time, one snap at a time incarnate. And a lot of times that registers as coach speak. But I've never seen a team that that locks in the way this one has. And I know they would have traded those game results in the playoffs the last few years for any other result. But I do think there's something to be said for getting knocked down a few pegs when you're on the climb and figuring out what it takes to be a champion. And they put all of it to use, and they were a they were a machine this year. And I, that's how I'll remember them is an unflappable killing machine. I think the trials and tribulations that the guys of this team, especially the seniors and the guys that experienced that 2020 COVID year and know what the, the, the lows lowest of the lows look like. And we're part of that experience. It means that much more when you climb to the very top and I don't know, not to link us. Cause we didn't end up in that same position, but my story of uh, coming to Michigan after they were, you know, one verse two, uh, Sean Crable hits Troy Smith on the late hit out of bounds in the Ohio State game. So we're competing. We're on a national scale. And then, you know, App State, Tim Tebow, Urban Meyer, and then Rich Rod comes in and we snap all these streaks of, you know, not going to bowl games, six and six record, not losing record in the Big Ten. And then we try and turn it around our senior year and we win 11. We beat Ohio State. Like that was a cool turnaround story. That would be a cool like little run a comic or something like that story. This story here is Hollywood cinema, number one box office hit. These guys came from the bottom of the bottom and just continued to get better for three years, four years, and to not just win, but win in a dominant fashion when things were stacked against you. I just feel like you cannot have a story that is better lined than the one that these seniors and some of the guys have, have put together. So, um, to me, that just makes it even more special. It wasn't a bunch of transfer portal guys that just got together and decided we want to win a natty. This is a team and a collective group of guys that have experienced some tough times, came together, and became champions, and it wasn't an accident. It was not an accident. Uh, ben DeRosia for $5 says Blake Corum is now without a doubt a top four, four, uh, sorry, top four Wolverine of all time, absolute legend. I'll rank him at some point, but he's going to be up there. I mean, one of the most constant, so many guys on this team, Mike Sainer still, JJ McCarthy, 
Um, you could go ahead and throw the Don. I mean, again, numbers notwithstanding, in terms of the moments, Donovan Edwards is a Michigan legend. Roman Wilson uh, has made plays at Michigan. A lot of guys on this team that have a chance to come back and make plays next year. So we'll see. Um, yeah, history will be very kind to how this 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 team is viewed in terms of these guys that left their mark on the program. Uh, we'll keep cleaning up some comments here. This one's from Philip LeMay who says, Coach was talking about was just talking about spring practice. He is coming back. Hey, I don't know what if Jim Harbaugh even knows what he's having for breakfast tomorrow yet. So we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think I saw him say they were talking about moving spring football back a month. I think those guys have certainly deserved that. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, the future is not known, which is why you had to go get this one while the bird was in hand. Um, big case Mike is back, says Broom, how great did it feel to be there? When the game got out of reach, how palpable was the feeling of vindication? Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible. Um, things were things were tight there for a bit. Um, I, I mentioned the word clenching. There was a lot of that going on, probably at home and some folks up here in the box. Um, you know, Michigan just found a way. Um, and after watching them for so many years, shoot themselves in the foot to make those self-inflicted wounds to to lose out, you know, you think of the spot at Ohio state and the 2018 Ohio state game. And some of those just missed opportunities. Water was going to find its level eventually. And it came back crashing this year in a big way. Uh, Michigan fans deserve this. That Michigan program deserves this. Those guys that stuck around both that were on the team during the COVID season and the recruits in that 2021 class that could have seen that and went elsewhere, cut and run all those guys deserve it. So there is vindication. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I gotta be honest, uh, if that scandal doesn't, I really feel like a lot of the, the noise around that whole scandal and the whole ordeal, I don't know if this team wins the national championship, if they aren't focused, they're just a little bit less focused and a little less locking in on the, on the goal at hand. And, and they spoke this into existence. They always planned on being here, but it really felt like, you know, in 2021, that Michigan State game was the push they needed to refocus and beat Ohio State. All of that stuff that happened two months ago, almost three months ago now, felt like the final push to rounding this team into its final form. So, you know, you can you can cry about adversity, you can be frustrated with it, but at the end of the day, it uh, it can define you sometimes too. And, and I think that's the story of this team is that they did not flinch and they did not care. This is the most not give a shit team I think I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, any thoughts on any of that, Ryan? I just, I think that even more to add to the legacy, you can consider all the things. And I feel like you almost have to sit down and start writing them down because the other thing that I feel like you have to think about what real impact did it have on this team? But the, the last three games of the regular season, taking Jim Harbaugh away and saying, Hey, the entire season and your off season and everything else leads up to everybody's been talking about it all year that you don't play anybody till the last three games of the season. And Oh, by the way, when you get to those games, we're going to have a media circus around you an NCAA investigation, pulling players out of meetings. We're going to take your head coach away while he's on a flight to one of the biggest away games you're going to play all season. And to go through all those things and still find ways to win and Sharon Moore to be 4-0 as a head coach, I believe 4-0, and, you know, to have a carousel to start the year. I mean, there may not be a better team 
that's ever won the national championship through a completely biased lens, but all the way from guys who can step up to coach when other guys are out guys who can step up to play when other guys are out. Um, I still don't think there's a stud or superstar superstar that led this team. It was a collaboration between the coaches and the players. And to me, that's what makes it so darn special is how much everybody contributed to this national championship and to the success of this team. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to leave it uh, again, let you guys get back to celebrating your national championship. Cause this is for Michigan fans. We have to go back to work. There's a lot of loose ends to clean up from this game, from this season. Uh, we're going to have a champions press conference tomorrow morning with uh, I believe Jim Harbaugh and the offensive and defensive MVPs. Uh, Ballas and I are in Houston for one more day. So hopefully get some uh, celebratory barbecue. Maybe pop some bottles later tonight. It's been a long season for all of us. Um, who are all too familiar now with NCAA bylaws and, and legalese and NIL stuff behind the scenes. Michigan football is a national champion. Uh, it took nine years of the Jim Harbaugh era, but it doesn't feel like that long anymore. Uh, Michigan wins 34, 13 Ryan. I just want to say like, it is uh, again, a, gen an honor, a genuine honor and pleasure to do these with you after every game. Uh, been a lot of fun. We didn't have any setbacks with them this year. No sad shows. Uh, so shout out to us for that. Um, we'll catch up soon enough, but uh, to, to, you know, this is a big part of what we do at the Wolverine. And I wanted to thank you for your time every week, especially a lot of late nights because they play a lot of big games, but uh, we appreciate you. And I hope you get to soak this in and enjoy it too. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, I really enjoy doing this with you guys. I enjoy the listeners, all the commentary back and forth. And to be a player fan like I get to be and to be able to discuss this game uh, that I love with the university that I love, I, I look forward to this opportunity and share my thoughts with you guys every week. So thank you for having me on. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. A uh, lot of great stuff coming out of this. I had a, really, a couple of cool player interviews on the field, a lot of confetti in my pockets. Could be pulling confetti out of my jeans and out of my backpack, probably for months, but I would have it no other way. Gonna save a lot of that too. So for Ryan Van Bergen, uh, I'm Anthony Broom. Thanks to you guys for sticking with the Wolverine in our post-game shows all season long. Uh, enjoy this. You guys deserve it. We will talk to you again, not soon enough. Thanks again. <laughs>